Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter 5, as we continue on this morning. It's so funny, I was um, thinking about this text. I've been obviously spending time with the text quite a bit, but I was wondering, is there a, is there a clever title for what we're going to cover this morning? Is there some catchy pithy phrase, right, that fits. Not, not really. Um, and then I read from a pastor friend of mine in uh, Nashville just last night, and then again this morning from another one in Concord saying, hey, quit trying to come up with creative titles, just preach the word. And I remember the little sticker we had up here, it says, speak the word, stand up, speak the truth, sit down. So there you go, there's your title this morning, about as functional as you can get. Jesus is leading us in this text toward honesty and away from hostility. Now, let that sink in for just a moment because that's pretty antithetical to what we see going on today in culture, right? Wouldn't it be awesome if we were around people that were honest and loving and weren't so prone to hostility? I mean, I I don't want to quote a sitcom, and I'm certainly in no way elevating a sitcom here, but can I just say, like, the, the world is just full of George Costanzas. I mean, every time I look around, so the young people under 30 are going, I don't, what is that? Um, ask your parents, they'll tell you. But that immediately escalate, right, something. They go from here to here in just a moment. Everybody's so easily triggered is the word. Years ago, a chaplain at the Kansas Senate stood up and prayed this prayer. He said, omniscient father, help us to know who is telling the truth. One side tells us one thing, one side just the opposite. And if neither side is telling the truth, we'd like to know that too. And if each side is telling half the truth, give us the wisdom to put the right halves together. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's how we feel with our political leadership today, right? That's how we feel with the information we get from media. That's how we feel with, well, the facts are this. No, the facts are this. And, well, that's fake news. I mean, what? Come on. We, we long for honesty And we long for peacemakers in our culture. And Jesus is calling the disciples then and us now to that. We have a culture that is just cynical. I mean, and sometimes it's warranted. We sound more like Pilate than we sound like Jesus because we're saying truth. What is truth? Who can be trusted? There's clearly today a pervasive indifference to truth-telling, and there was in Jesus' culture as well. Not just an indifference to truth-telling, but the Pharisees had begun to set up a system of abusing oaths, and Jesus is about to blow that up in the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to think about what he's he's attacked here. He's gone after adultery, not just the fruit, but the root. He's gone after anger, not just the fruit of murder, but the root. He's gone after divorce, where the Pharisees were super permissive, not just the fruit, but the root. Everybody wanted to talk about the way out. He wanted to talk about the way in and the way forward. And now, now, he's going after what used to be simple, thou shalt not lie or bear false witness. (laughs) And the Pharisees have made a whole system out of it. In fact, I'll get to that in a moment. There was a whole section in the Mishnah committed to it. We come to illustrations four and five in the Sermon on the Mount 
and there's only six in this section, where Jesus shows his followers how to be salt and how to be light in a culture that was tasteless and dark around them. If we want to engage the people around us with our words so that they have a thirst for Christ, then you and I ought to tell the truth. If we want to live in such a way that lights the way for Christ, then we ought to live in such a way that actually does that. That what we say to others matters and the way we treat others matters. One spiritual formation author refers to this section as transparent words and unquenchable love. Let's look at the text. Chapter 5, verse 33. I'll put it on the screen for you. Grab your Bibles there. You can follow along. If you don't have one, you can pull it up online on the um, Version Bible app. You can also pull it up on our church app as well. In verse 33, we see here Jesus saying, Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. It's interesting the way Jesus is now morphing what he's quoting from the past. He's, this is kind of an amalgamation. It's a, it's, a, it's a combination of several laws related to oath-taking. Swearing in God's name, now we hear that and we all get nervous, right? And we should. But this was a normal practice in the Old Testament. It was commanded in some instances But of course, as people do, they abuse it. I need to unpack a little bit of the culture he's speaking to so you understand what the author's intent is here, and then you'll see the application pretty clearly. Bear with me just a moment. I told Julia last night after uh, the fall fest was beginning to wind down, I said, you know, everybody's eating and they're full and it's going to be kind of hard to get up in the morning, and I'm preaching on oaths and retaliation. Not quite camp meeting fire here this morning, but uh, hang with me. We'll, uh, We'll enjoy the text together. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, the Bible says, You shall fear the Lord, you shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. Now in the Old Testament, swearing by the Lord or calling the Lord to witness a covenant commitment was a big deal. Here's another big deal. Doing that and then not doing the thing that you committed to do. And that's really what the Old Testament writers were after. It was all kinds of terrible. In fact, Leviticus 19 records, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Numbers 30, if you make a vow to the Lord, don't break your word. Deuteronomy 23, if you make a vow to the Lord, don't delay in fulfilling it. You pick up on a theme here in the Old Testament. Last week I mentioned the Mishnah to you, which is this this oral traditions handed down by Jewish leaders that makes up the first part of the Talmud and the, the Mishnah here is uh, pretty heavy on this. There's a part of it called the Shebuoth, and I'll get a better pronunciation of that later. But um, that's where they talked a whole section of this Mishnah that was being taught in Jesus' day, not yet recorded, but being taught in Jesus' day, a whole section on oaths. Listen to what they'd done. They had taken oath-taking to a whole new level. It became a system of rules where you could learn where you could lie and where you could hide the truth. And when you couldn't. <laughs> it produced a culture of folks communicating like this. I'm not really telling you the truth, but I'm not actually lying. Right? Now that sounds so foreign to us, doesn't it? We don't know anything or anybody that operates like that. You ever been around a kid? <laughs> yeah, I didn't do it. No. Right? 
right? And we're so brazen as adults, we don't even cross our fingers anymore. We're just out and out like, I didn't actually lie. I just hid nine-tenths of the truth. Join me this morning as my spiritual gift is untruthfulness. No, come on. We, we've got a problem. We're, we're loose with the truth. Kids have mastered this at, to the point to where they have to say, no, 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 no. I promise. I promise. I promise. I promise. This is, I'm telling the truth, I promise. When you have to wall off your statement like that, there's a problem, right? When you've got to really make a big deal about, no, 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 this is true. There might be a problem with everything else you're saying. Look at what Jesus brings their attention to back in Matthew 5, 34 through 36. He's like, stop doing this. Stop doing this. Don't, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth. Basically, Jesus is saying, you don't own any of this. You don't own heaven. You don't own earth. Verse 36, you, you can't make your hair white or black. And for those of you that use products that do that, that's not what he's talking about. You can't, by the thought of your head, make it change. That's where he's at, right? He couldn't run to Walgreens and get some, that's not what's going on here. Um, and it brings us to our first point. I've got two points. I've got some sub points under number two. Here's your first point of the morning. It's pretty simple. Simply speak the truth. That doesn't mean you have to walk up to the wonderful brother this morning and go like, you know, your breath is all kinds of stank. That's not, that's not where I'm going, right? We, we still speak the truth in love. But simply speak the truth. Jesus says in verse 37, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Be a man or woman whose word is bond. Be reliable. Be truthful. Be honest. And be wise with your words. Speak the truth to others in a way that points them to the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says in Colossians 4 that we're to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. The world is watching you live this thing called life. Make the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer a person. Be dependable. Jesus doesn't seem to be saying here, as some extremists have interpreted, that you can never enter into a contract or a legal proceeding, that's not what he's doing. What he's doing here, and I'll address that in a moment, he's reversing what the Pharisees had set up as this complex system of skirting the truth, and he's bringing them back to the simplicity of covenant commitment. The thinking was such that you can do and say whatever you need to do or say unless you called heaven down, right? I'm going to say something. Give me some space in the sermon here because it really fixed the text. And it, it, it's a phrase, even as I was talking through it this morning to myself and praying through this, I'm like, I really don't like saying this phrase. But it, it's like saying, no, 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 I swear to the Lord. I, I swear to God. I'm, he, he's saying, live your life in such a way that you never have to say that. He's not addressing the court or judicial system here. He's addressing everyday conversation. You can cheat on board games. You, you, you can cheat when you're doing your classwork. You, you, can, you can take every shortcut you can find with your homework, but, but don't get caught. Don't get caught. And, and when it's time to take the big test and the proctors are watching and the cameras are on, make sure you follow all the rules. This is the culture we set up today. It's not quite the Pharisee system, but we're like, no, 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 do what you've got to do to get by. And Jesus speaks against that. 
he speaks against that. He would say this, if you're faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the many things. Is it easy for you to lie? Is it easy for you to be dishonest in your speech with others? Then we have a problem. Disciples of Jesus are to be characterized by such honesty and integrity that an oath of any sort seems completely unnecessary to add credibility to their word. Right? That's how we're supposed to live. On December the 6th, 1878, preacher and writer George MacDonald wrote to his son, listen, I always try, I think I do, to tell the truth. All the same, I find I tell a great many lies. Jesus brings the truth, this truth to bear on swearing by this and by that and trying to obscure the truth. Here's the first thing he brings up. If you look at those texts, here's basically, I think, would characterize what he's saying. God sees everything. Just be honest, because you start swearing by this object or that object or by heaven and earth and all these things, all that belongs to God and he sees everything. He really amplifies this in Matthew 23. I've got the reference up there for you for a moment. He, he's addressing those folks who would swear to God or swear by God. He's saying, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Just let your yeses be yeses and your noes be noes. Why do we do this? Why do we wall off statements, I swear, I swear? Because we're liars. <laughs> we, we aren't liars because we tell lies. We tell lies because we're liars. I mean, that's just, that's our sin-sick heart. And we need the Lord to do a deep and abiding work in us. Christ calls us away from cheapening our language to being dishonest. James 5, 12, the Bible says, Above all, my brothers, don't swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Because God sees and knows everything, the second thing I would tell you under this, if you want to jot this down, is tell the truth and use your speech for good. Use your speech for good. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Now that does mean profanity or being lax with your words, but it also means dishonesty. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only use such that is good for building up and as fits the occasion for those who will hear. Why? Because with your speech, you can grieve the Holy Spirit of God according to God's word. I don't want to grieve the Spirit. You don't want to grieve the Spirit. Be honest. Jesus is dealing with the realm of everyday speech here. Children need to be honest with each other, and children need to be honest with their parents. Parents, hear me quickly. There are some things we can let slide with our kids. Don't let dishonesty slide with your kids, because the easier it gets for them to lie, the better liar they become as teenagers and adults. Don't let dishonesty slide. Call them out. Help them know. Now listen, they may just be careless with the truth instead of some intentional lying. I understand that. But if they watch something happen outside and they begin to not express their imagination, I'm not going to get into all that, but they begin to tell you, no, 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 this is the truth. And you know clearly it's not. I was standing right there. And they've never stood there, right? Gently, lovingly call them out and point them to the truth. Why? Because it matters. And we as adults need to remember that our tongues are the PR departments of our hearts. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, man speaks. Is it easy for you to lie? You've got a problem. Does your lying never bother you? 
we have a problem. I know the solution, and his name is Jesus. Time won't permit me to diverge too much on this, but I would say that there are some denominations, um, historic extremist denominations out of the Reformation that took an absolutionist view on this. For some of you historians in the room, the Anabaptists and others, um, the uh, took a view of this that said, well, this is reason for us to never take an oath or to never sign a contract, and it's reason for us, and they applied also in peacegiving later, but that's not really what Jesus is addressing because if you remember when he was being tried, uh, he was charged under oath to answer Pilate, and he did. And so he submitted to that judicial system in that day because it's a system, even though defunct in that way, that God had set up and ordained. Um, in fact, the use of other oaths and solemn occasions to emphasize our truthful, truthfulness is consistent with biblical and Christian practice. Here's the bottom line of this text. Be a person who speaks the truth. Be a person who's known to always be honest, and it reflects the character of God and the kingdom to which you belong. Wow. Moving on. So how do I categorize the next session, right? Turning the other cheek and going the extra mile and being generous. Here's what I did. Serve others sacrificially. Serve others sacrificially. I would add, but like you don't want to point this long, right? It sounds like old doctrinal papers that they turn into books with titles that are like this long. But serve others sacrificially with meekness and generosity for the glory of God. That wouldn't fit on the slide, so I didn't put all that up there. But meekness and generosity really lace the next part of this text. Hang with me just a few more moments this morning. Matthew 5, 38, 39. Let's look at the text. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for for a tooth. But I say to you, don't resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. What? <laughs> I don't think so. That's not how I roll. The law of retaliation, which people wanted to take into their own hands in Jesus' day and today, was originally given as a guide to the courts in their judgment and was not intended to guide individuals in exacting revenge. In fact, if you think about it, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, as the Old Testament law governed, it, it was basically to limit the punishment to match the crime so that somebody didn't go ballistic on somebody and really blow up the punishment for the crime. The goal was to ensure fair and balanced judgments and sentences. It was to be applied without discrimination and without prejudice. We're not talking about protecting someone else here. Do you understand that? When I talk about you're being attacked, I, I mean, we, we all read the news. That, that's not what's being addressed here. We're not talking about you, uh, men and women, standing in the gap for someone else being attacked. We're not talking about you preserving life. That's, that's not what's going on here. I'll come to that in a minute. We're not talking about you protecting your family or functioning as protector for someone that is in harm's way. We're talking about this slap on the cheek at the time, literally today, proverbially. And, I mean, literally, if you roll like that, if you still carry leather gloves and slap each other, I don't, I don't know how all y'all do things, but it, it was one of the highest forms of public insult, right? I've only seen this done in movies. I'm okay with that. I don't need a real-life demonstration. Um, but where, you know, you slap somebody in the face 
and immediately, right, you've got the option to escalate and go like spider monkey on them, or you can turn the other cheek. Now, the context here is important. He's talking to those who are being marginalized for being Jesus followers as well. So, so the context that works here is that they're literally being humiliated in public, insulted in public for naming the name of Christ, being slapped on the cheek, and he's saying, I don't need you to puff up. You don't have to defend me. Turn the other cheek. In fact, I would characterize it this way. This stings for us Americans here this morning. You ready for this? Meekness in the face of hostility. I don't care for that. I don't like, I'm not even writing that down, Pastor. Next point, please. Meekness, which is power under control in the face of hostility. I do want you to write down this scripture reference in the margin of your Bible by this passage. Are you ready? I don't have it on the screen for you. This is bonus this morning. Bonus? He didn't have time for bonus stuff. It's in my notes. Don't worry. Romans 12, 17 through 21. Romans 12, 17 through 21. That is the best commentary on these verses I could find. Believe me, I looked. You see, God's word has an amazing ability to do a great job of explaining God's word. And in Romans 12, verses 17 through 21, I want you to take your Bibles. It's not on the screen on purpose, so you have to grab. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to Romans chapter number 12. I'm going to do it to on mine. This is not a prop up here. It's my actual Bible I use. Romans 12, 17 through 21. Listen to the word of the Lord. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with, say it, good. The guiding principle here is that when we show neighborly love, Jesus kind of love, in the face of hostility, when we put away a heart of malice and anger and vengefulness, justice and forgiveness are not mutually exclusive. Jesus shows up in ways that are difficult to even explain for the pulpit, but he shows up and shows off in those ways. Why? Because when you're insulted like that, when you're demeaned like that, and hostility comes toward you that way, and you take it, right? They may slap the other cheek. They may slap both of them a couple times, right, till the glove wears out. I don't know what they're gonna do, but I know this, it's gonna mess with their heads a little bit that you didn't immediately escalate like everybody else on their social media feed or everybody else they're watching on TV or every other thing they're seeing play out in life. You're living in a way that is counter cultural. I don't get mad, I get even. 
that should never be named among us. In fact, when we hear a brother or sister say that, that's your cue for an instant and loving rebuke for that brother or sister. Don't send your pastor a text. You're not going to believe what Adam Freeman just said. I said that so your friends watching would know I was talking about you, Adam. Adam Freeman just said, if I don't get mad, I don't get amen. Pastor, you need to do something. You know what my reply is going to be? You do something. You're his brother or sister in Christ. Hey, brother, we don't, Christians shouldn't say like that. Go to this verse. I mean, I know you were tired from Fall Fest, but surely you heard pastor, like, he hit it like 13 times in a sermon. I don't get mad, I get even. That's not the language of the Christian. This, this kind of response, when we do this when, in the face of hostility, you know what our attacker does? They go, what? Why would you? What, what's up with you? Let's look on at the other illustrations here quickly this morning as we move through the text. Verse 40, Jesus says, what does he say about those being ripped off? If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. This tunic is very important. It's their outer garment. He's saying if they sue you and take your tunic, again, context here, we're not talking about like um, legit lawsuits and things like that. I'll get to that in a moment. We're, we're talking about this being maligned for your faith and they're taking advantage of a system that lets them take advantage of you and they're taking something from you and, 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 and you've got a choice, right? You can, here, right? You tell my parent, right? <laughs> they can over here. No, Jesus is saying, give it to them. Like, take it to the dry cleaners first. Give it to them nice, neat, fresh, and then give them an extra garment as well. What would that do to your person trying to malign you? What? What's going on? Here's my note for that. You, give, you have grace in the face of unreasonable demands. Uh, the lesson here for me is that we are people that respond with grace when unreasonable reasonable demands find their way where demands abound let grace abound romans 12 again great commentary on that but when someone takes the cloak from you give them the shirt too it's so radical this kind of thing he's talking to people context is important around him when he's preaching the sermon he's not talking to me and you who have two cars and we drove them both to church and we're going to try to figure out where we're going to go have a meal after church, right? Which restaurant we're going to hit on the way home into our heated and air conditioning home and enjoy the rest of the day. He's talking to people who all they have is the shirt on their back. And he's saying, when the Roman guards and the persecutors take that from you, give them something extra and do it with a smile. What? Don't you think the persecutor might go, what are you doing? Why would you do this? Ah. Why would you do this? It's so radical. The Lord is not referring here to the average lawsuit, but the context is the righteous being pushed against the wall for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When they rip you off as a Christian for being a Christian, let grace abound. Even with those things we regard as our rights, we will lay them down for the sake of Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul takes it one step further and says, listen, we as followers of Jesus would prefer to be wronged rather than to have a lawsuit or litigation with another follower of Jesus. It's not only when we're being persecuted, but when a brother wows. Now this bleeds directly into the next phrase of what's going on here. We think about the 
going that extra mile. This is where it comes from in the Bible, Matthew 5, 41. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. What's that about? Well, remember, Israel was an occupied territory. The Romans would compel Israelites to assist the Roman military. They would force them into labor. And Jesus is saying here, when you are forced into labor, I want you to serve, watch this, wow, radical, with joy and to do your work is under the Lord. What? When the Roman guard tells me to do something, I clear, like when he's telling me to carry his spear a thousand paces, which by the way was considered a mile at the time, that's the translation. You want me to go 2,000 paces and take it all the way to his house and do it with a song in my heart? Yeah. Yeah. Serve with joy. Remember Simon of Cyrene? He was standing by the side. The Roman guards pulled him out of the crowd and had him carry the cross of our Lord. The Jewish people hated this practice. I mean, this was worse than being slapped in the face. Why? Because it publicly illustrated the humiliation of being a captive nation in their own homeland. They were captives. Now, we don't have to think long and hard about how this could be abused. We saw it play out in our own culture and history. We don't have to look back very far. But we also saw a resilient people. As millions, right? Millions of Africans engaged in slavery and yet brought elements of gospel worship in the midst of great persecution with joy under the Lord. I mean, come on. It's to these people, these conquered and captive people, that Jesus is saying, if they demand forced labor, wow them with your work ethic because you belong to me and I'm keeping a record. If you think back with me to the Beatitudes when he's finishing up, he said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. This takes, this is almost impossible to live out. There are two ways to do a task, right? There's doing it like the world is coming to an end as you're doing the task. Parents, no? Any relation there? Do you think you could take the garbage out? <laughs> no Grace Covenant kids ever do that. I, this other churches, I've read stories, right? Right? There are two ways to do it. Or, or to do it with a sense of I'm going to glorify God by the way I do this. And I know that seems corny, but it didn't to Jesus. And it's the standard he demands. It's just so radical. Can't you see the soldier asking, what, why are you doing this? Why are you going the extra mile? I only asked you to do this. Can't you see the tyrant that's taking advantage of the meek and gentle Christian being shocked as the follower of Jesus does more than what's required and going, what, what's up with that? Final point this morning. Let's look at this final picture of how it is. Verse 42, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Here's your subpoints. the last one, ready? Be ready to help those in need. Be ready to help those in need. He said, give to the one who begs from you. You need to know, context is important. Here's what we know in these biblical times. A Jewish person would rather be this expression, caught dead than caught begging. So this was not a common thing people did to milk a system. This was a legitimate need. And he's saying when somebody begs for you, you give to them. The implication here is that the need is legitimate. The principle is super clear. Be generous 
and be ready to help those in need. Now, it's 2021. We worship here at the corner of, in the heart of South End Charlotte. Like me, you probably pass by a myriad number of people at various times in the week if you come into the town and see folks begging and asking for bread, asking for money, asking for this, asking for that. So what do we do, Pastor? Because if I give them $3, they're going to go buy a case of liquor. I don't know how much anything costs, but I'm pretty sure that's not how that ends. Um, so what do we do? Well, listen, before we come up with a list of all the possible reasons to justify us not helping, we should be quicker to help. Well, I don't want to give them money. Great. What do you want to give them? Uh, I don't, I wasn't ready to answer that question, right? Uh, that's fine. You, you don't want to give somebody that's asking for money. You don't want to give them money. You want to meet a need. How do you want to meet it? Carry an extra bottle of water with you. There's a, my pastor friend I mentioned near Nashville. He lives uh, in the Germantown part of Nashville is where they pastor. And he said, he taught me early on, he said, when we came here, he said, I'm always asked for money. He said, I always take $3, just three $1 bills and tuck them in my pocket. So I always have $3 right there. He said, you know what you can't buy with $3? Much drugs or booze. <laughs> you know what you can get with $3? A candy bar and, a, and something at the store, right? You can get a little something. I, that, that's one illustration, there, and an, a quick fix does not meet a long-term need. I know that, but when people are asking, we need to be ready to help. We should be generous. What if they do something with it? What if you misuse your money? What? <laughs> that's my business. Okay, okay. What if you're not faithful in your giving? You want your... <laughs> Moving on, right? Come on, be ready to help. It doesn't mean that cash is always best. I'm not suggesting that. You could do like one family who shall remain nameless, but who bakes loaves of bread <laughs> and brings extras so when they run into somebody with need, they can literally give them bread. What does that look like? We can make some little bags. We've, we've got little bags of hope that we've made before. So it's actually things that people can use who are in that situation. Be quick to help. None of those realities, none of the reasons we come up with why we shouldn't help validate our selfishness share with him what god has given you without expecting anything in return spurgeon says be generous a miser is not a follower of jesus d.a carson writes stop trying to figure out what's in it for you and give something to somebody in need here's the summary this morning it's a lot packed into a few verses I'm going to give you a quicker summary. You're going to be mad because you're like, why didn't you just say that at the beginning and then dismiss us? Here it is. You ready? <laughs> the way we talk to others matters. And the way we treat others, even when they're mistreating us, matters. Julia, if you will move to the piano now and the musicians come back. I think it's the musicians are me and you. But as we prepare to close this morning, can I tell you the best illustration of this, Jesus Christ, the final week of his life, the passion week we call it, Jesus Christ, when he stood before those making false accusations, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. He told the truth and he did it in a way that didn't get in the way of the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, he committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. Listen, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. 
When he suffered, he didn't threaten. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Be salt and light like Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, he would say. The meek, the merciful, the pure, the peacemakers. Be honest, Grace Covenant, in the way you talk to others. Be kind when others are hostile. Be gracious when others are demanding. Be generous when others are in need. How we talk to others, how we treat others is either an asset or a liability to our witness for the Lord. It's harder than it sounds. In fact, it's impossible without Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Father, this morning as we prepare our hearts to sing one more song before we're dismissed, we just want to say, Lord, we're nothing without you. It, it sounds almost illogical, but it completely makes sense. We need to depend on you to be able to obey you in the hopes of pointing others to you. Lord, may Grace Covenant, our family, and the Christians in this community be marked as those who talk the talk and who walk the walk even when we're mistreated. We still want to glorify you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen.